Hello, friends. Welcome to the Nexus Podcast. I'm your host, James Dice. Each week, I fire questions at the leaders of the smart buildings industry to try to figure out where we're headed and how we can get there faster without all the marketing fluff. I'm pushing my learning to the limit, and I'm so glad to have you here following along. This episode is a conversation with Richard Miller of Buildings IoT and Jim Anthony of AppGate on zero trust architecture and zero trust networks. We talked about how building networks are built unsecurely today, why that must change moving forward, what zero trust means, example use cases for zero trust technology products, why zero trust means a lot more than just those products, what to look for in a product, and how to make the transition to zero trust. So without further ado, please enjoy the Nexus podcast with Richard Miller and Jim Anthony. Welcome to the show. Rich, I'll start with you. Can you introduce yourself, please? Certainly. Uh, I'm Richard Miller. I'm with Buildings IoT. Uh, I've been with them since 2018 when they acquired my boutique managed services networking company. Cool. Can you take us a little bit further back in your background? Yeah, sure. Um, I went to a, uh, a very well-known uh, networking company, or excuse me, networking uh, school back before there was such a thing as an internet. And um, essentially they taught you everything you needed to know about being a Nobel certified engineer and was quickly scooped up by one of the leading companies in Alameda County. And since then um, I've focused on networking and security, um, primarily routing, switching, uh, designing networks, and then I had a customer uh, that was Buildings IoT that we were being brought in to help on uh, operational technology networks, doing some cleanup when things didn't go so well. And we eventually decided that it was time to, to bring those forces together and allow us to, to really bring a professional team of network engineers and designers uh, and hit those projects you know, from, the, from the gate. Uh, cool. Make, what was this company called that Buildings IoT acquired? Um, it was previously known as Ontai. That was the, the company that I owned. Cool. Very cool. All right, Jim, how about you? Can you introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. Thanks for having us, James. I appreciate it. Uh, Jim Anthony, I work for AppGate. I am the uh, SVP of sales engineering. So I run the, uh, the technical geeks that work for the company. Uh, we help... Uh, partners like Rich um, integrate our product and our capabilities into what they're taking into the market. We also sell directly to uh, end customers and things like that too. Cool. Cool. And, and AppGate is not a name that a lot of people in this audience are going to have heard of before. I don't think. Do you guys serve more than just buildings? Oh, we do. Yeah. We have a, a zero trust uh, network access solution that uh, implements uh, a lot of the principles of zero trust uh, and least privileged access to networks, whether they're IoT devices, buildings, humans, other servers, applications. Uh, if, it's, if it generates network traffic and needs access to a, a destination in a data center or a cloud platform, we can control that access. That's what our solution actually does. Cool, okay. Yeah, and obviously we're gonna dig into that in much more detail, everyone that didn't know what that meant. Um, so can we start with just kind of the old way things were done? So we're gonna talk about zero trust architectures. We're gonna talk a lot about what you just said, but what would be 
the old way that things were done. And let's kind of zero in on buildings, right? We want to talk about mostly how, how networking is done in buildings. Maybe, Rich, you start. Um, how, what's the old way? Um, you know, going back, it, I really was shocked at some of the things I saw. And that won't be any big surprise to the audience, I, I don't think. Um, primarily, you know, it, it's a very well-established fact that risks are, are created by lackadaisical uh, administration. And whether that be from the manufacturer or the engineer that was chosen to install a network or network devices or how they put it together, maybe lack of budget, I think is, is one thing we face a lot. Um, a lot of times those networks are simply kind of brought in as an afterthought or originally. That's changing a lot. Um, and as I'm, as I'm sure most people know, you know, in the last two or three years that the focus on security and architecture has really, really been uh, started to step up. But as that relationship that I described involved, um, it was really embraced by Buildings IoT, which is something I was very, very much gratified by. I saw a real impact that that exposure that we were able to make. Um, but you know the typical problems: um, incorrect choice of, of equipment, um, over provisioning, where entire subnets are allowed to talk, uh, or in some cases networks that have direct access in from the internet, uh, and or transporting sensitive critical data uh, from for the building um, right across the internet in free, free and clear traffic, uh, free and clear passwords, uh, usernames, that kind of thing or even building systems that, like I said, were exposed to the internet. And you still see a lot of that today. But again, um, you know, don't get me wrong, we have some really well-established large customers that are doing a fantastic job. They have very well-qualified uh, IT teams and I really enjoy working with them. And, and we get an opportunity a lot of times to step in and help someone uh, really beef up that infrastructure and make a lot of those good design choices. Uh, and that's the part that's been, like I said, really gratifying. Yeah, totally. Yeah, the buildings world, I mean, we've talked about this on the podcast before with uh, Joe Gasperdoni, other people as well, around just separate silos, each system in the building having separate, unsecured, uncontrolled, unmanaged uh, networks you know, individual networks that are just not set up in a secure way because they weren't set up by people that really cared about that sort of thing. Um, Jim, do you see that in other verticals as well outside of buildings? Absolutely. I, th I think uh, there's a lot of other places in the world where networks are deployed that run into the exact same problems that you, you just described in buildings. Um, there's, a, there's sort of a competing requirement if you think about it. Uh, I need to put something in place that allows users to access an application or a, an IOT device to send data somewhere. And of course it's gonna use a network. And so the network guy's philosophy has traditionally been, I don't want my network to ever go down, right? So they're, they've got redundant this and they've got multiple pathways and, and the more technology you put into it, the more restrictions and the more things that could possibly go wrong are there, right? And so, and all of a sudden along comes security saying, oh no, wait a minute, you guys gotta get this under control. Uh, so now you start to run into this problem, right? So defense and depth kind of became a thing. And, you know, where do I do the encryption? Do I do it all the way to the destination? Do I do it in the network path? Uh, you know, how do I handle passwords and expirations? 
uh, are passwords even required? When, you know, when do I do that? So there's all kinds of things that come into play, but it's, it's this, this competing dichotomy of, yes, the network is required, so let's set it up so it never goes down. And I don't have to get involved to make dynamic configuration changes to it when somebody goes and spins up a new webcam, for example, uh, versus how do I make this thing secure so that not just anybody can access it. And if they do get into it, they don't have access to everything else that's on the same network. Right. So you got those kind of problems that are floating around out there. Yeah. Yeah, totally. All right. So let's dive into zero trust then. Um, well, for those of you that need a, like an intro to networking and buildings, we'll put links to those sorts of things um into the show notes we're gonna we're gonna just gonna go right past it <laughs> uh and and dive into zero trust architecture and and really i'm excited for you guys to educate me because i've seen this term or acronym depending on how it's presented um for for many years now i just have never really dug into it um and i'm excited to hear more about it so what what is it where can we start there yeah, maybe let me jump in and then uh, maybe we can get rich to apply it to uh, the building concept, right? So just generically speaking, what is zero trust? Um, zero trust is really the idea that uh, just because you know the device, just because you know the user, just because the traffic is coming from a known location, that it's trustworthy, that should be taken off the table. Uh, you should not trust anything by default is hmm. what it really means. And so the first thing that people start to think about is, oh, okay, well, I've got, you know, I've got my password, my database is password protected, my applications all require logins and things like that. Well, that's, that's great. That's a step in the right direction. But ask yourself the question, if I'm a user of a company and I go to work in a company office and I power up my laptop and connect to the network, do I just instantly have access to the network where the, where the servers live, where the applications live? that's a violation of zero trust. You've just been granted access to that data center network because you're in the corporate office. Well, what if somebody stole your badge and your laptop and they walked into the office and pretended to be you? Um, you know, things like that, right? So zero trust basically says we should establish trust with the human, the device, the network where the traffic's coming from, and a lot of other things before we grant that thing access mm -hmm to the corporate uh, data repositories, whether they're applications, databases, storage arrays, whatever, we should build trust from the ground up before we grant any access. And of course, I keep talking about it in terms of humans, but this applies to anything on your network, whether it's a human, another server, an IoT device, an entirely different network, you gotta build trust from the ground up to make sure that it's something that you expect and you wanna grant them access to that thing. And the second factor that's associated with zero trust is the idea of the principle of least privilege. Just because I decide that I trust you, no matter what you are, uh, I shouldn't give you blanket carte blanche access to the network that you're trying to access. I should give you access to the very specific things you need to get your job done. So if you're a webcam and you're sending data to a storage array, you should only have access to that storage array. In fact, you should only have access so the port it takes to write data to that storage array, period. That's all you should have access to. Um, you know, similarly, if I'm a human and I'm in the finance department, I should only have access to those applications that it takes for me to get my job done as a finance team member and nothing else. I should not have access to the customer service system. I should not have access to the uh, repository of customer data or even the webcam footage that I just described. I shouldn't have access to any of that. I don't need it to get my job done. Yeah. Rich, what else can we add? So, 
You know, I, I like to apply the concept of objects to what is being viewed across the board as components of your network. So for any entitled object, once we've validated the identity and we can establish the identity, even like, like Jim said, for a server, for a sensor, that continuously needs to be evaluated. And once that object, whether again, it's the user or it's a data collector, or if it's a controller or a Niagara server, SkySpark, whatever, um, we can create establishments of entitlement or we can establish entitlements between those entitled objects and then massage and inspect that traffic so that we know things are doing what they need to be doing. And if they get out of line, uh, if there's maligned traffic or if there's a man in the middle attack or something irregular happens, then we can terminate that session and create an alert and have an opportunity to go and, and check it out before things get out of hand. Um, and those key foundations are what are typically left out from some of the other solutions that uh, we see on the marketplace. And it, it's really saddening, to be honest with you. Um, this is the new big buzzword in, in, yeah. in, so, in acquisitions. Um, and I think it's, you know, those are the things that one of the reasons why uh, we really wanted to do this and, and bring this new expression, um, you know, to the table, to the, to the smart buildings community and try to, try to help increase that awareness. So. Well, yeah, that was, a, that was a, just what I was gonna ask you about, Rich, is um, in, if you look at all the networks across the industry today, how many are using this sort of approach today? I would say probably maybe 10 to 15%, but that's also going to encompass more uh, a more legacy approach to having a very dedicated firewall engineer um, a de very dedicated switching team uh, and application folks that are, like Jim said, interacting with each other and care about the other aspects of the network. Um, you know, purely from the networking side, we, we have way too many people that are tunnel visioned. Um, you know, I'm the DNS guy. I'm not the firewall guy. I'm not the switch guy. You know, that's where yeah. those gaps start to develop uh, in between. Yeah. yeah. And, so and James, I... Go ahead. I think another interesting thing to answer your question as well from a slightly different perspective is that zero trust isn't a binary concept. Uh, it is a spectrum of capability. And, and that means a lot of things. It means that you can't just go buy a product and turn it on. You're not going to do that with a single product. Uh, it involves at least a product, but typically multiple products, depending on the things that you want to try to accomplish. It also involves processes. It involves collaboration, teamwork. Um, it, it involves policies as well. Those have to be defined for zero trust as well. What does it mean to be a trustworthy source of traffic or a trustworthy destination of traffic? And so all of these things come into play. Um, you asked your question and, and, and uh, you know, you got a, you got a quick response about, you know, how, what percentage of companies are actually using zero trust and yeah, full on zero trust. It's a very small percentage but everybody's using zero trust to some degree because it falls on a spectrum somewhere. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you've got a firewall at the edge of your network. You've got some zero trust principles already in play. You've got some antivirus watching your laptops. You've got uh, a network intrusion detection system watching the network traffic. You've got some zero trust concepts in play already, but you need a platform that helps you tie it all together and react when one system sees bad stuff happening 
um, how do I react to that? And how do I programmatically react to it to prevent that bad stuff from getting any further? That's when you start to really get into these principles. Got it. Got it. And yeah, when I, when I think about a lot of the organizations, I always like to talk about who's taking responsibility for the networking and the, the health and the security and the integrity of the networks, right? Um, is it the IT folks or is it are the OT folks and are they OT vendors or the in-house OT people? So can you guys talk about how that this concept applies to that who's taking responsibility piece? Well, there would ultimately be a partner that would be responsible, I think, uh, or a group internal to a larger organization that can really look at the overall umbrella. And because you need to analyze, uh, like Jim was saying, um, you, you need to analyze who is involved, what level of access do they truly need? And then what are the potential outliers um, that would need to be accommodated for as well? So again, we're connecting these objects together that have been entitled only after that they've been um, fully authenticated and identified. Um, and then it's a matter of just maintaining that posture. It's more of a way of life to, you know, we're, we're at the risk of being kind of corny. Um, but you really need to, uh, you do need to understand, you know, what the requirements are for an application to function, even something as simple as a web browser application. Uh, there are well-defined methods to access that, uh, that web service, and then you need to know how to handle the response traffic or any other queries that it might be you know, going out there and reaching from, like a database or a log server or other places where it's going to incorporate data and then send that back. So it's kind of more of a big picture thing. Um, you know, your IT department is definitely going to be involved. Um, your applications team is going to need to be involved. Uh, it's, it's like Jim was saying, it's a group effort. It really is. Got it. Yeah, and Got I, it. I think to rich, I think to your, to your point, uh, the gone are the days that the network guys just do the network thing. And the firewall guys just do the firewall thing. Yeah. You got to get together and you've got to collaborate on, you know, uh, if I, if, if the firewall team makes a firewall policy change, the network team needs to be prepared to see a new kind of traffic. And is that traffic going to be allowed through the intrusion detection system and things like that? So, it, you know, you, you begin to see more collaboration the deeper you get into the into your zero trust journey. Got it. Okay. So we have this overall philosophy, right? We have this overall way of life, you said, Richard. Um, and then you guys have been talking about needing a platform or needing a product that can help implement some of these things. Can you talk about what are some of the use cases that uh, that this product would need to be able to do? Yeah, we, we talk about... Uh, our product, AppGate SDP, quite often as a platform that not only does X, Y, and Z, and we can talk about what X, Y, and Z really is, but the idea behind a platform is that you should be able to integrate into other things, other investments that companies have already made as well. Whether it's a trouble ticketing system, a SIM, uh, uh, desktop support mechanisms, intrusion detection systems, firewalls, um, you should be able to integrate this underlying supportive platform into those other investments and take advantage of those capabilities that helped you decide to buy that other platform in the first place. Mm -hmm. uh, for example, you know, certain firewalls, they do great things they're, but they're firewalls. They, they do one thing, they do a certain thing. Um, how about if we could integrate to the firewall and make dynamic adjustments to it on the fly as we see new threats happening or we see uh, new applications coming up on the network, things like that. And that, that's what I mean by integration. 
one product doesn't do it all, but you've got to be able to integrate and either manipulate those other products or take advantage of the data that they collect to help make better decisions about who has access to what in real time. Okay. What about use cases for the end user? What, what is this enabling the, the product enabling me to do? And when I say product, I mean software for helping with implementing this zero, zero trust approach. Um, I, I think one of the keys there is, again, like Jim said, we're tying into different authentication sources potentially, or different uh, multi-factor authentication sources. Um, you know, one of the things I like to throw out there is that, you know, Buildings IoT has always been a champion of the converged network. And this is really an extension of oh, okay. a concept because you're taking these different parts, um, say AppGate as the glue, and you're able to create an overall umbrella, umbrella product that really satisfies a lot of different needs. So like for the end user, uh, a significant piece of that is once the identity has been authenticated and you receive your entitlements, they're also contextually aware. They know if you're in your, your company office or if you're in an airport or if you're in the Starbucks down the street or if you've suddenly gotten off a plane in Malaysia. And those uh, entitlements are then adjusted based not only on your identity, but also based on your context. And there's a, a huge variety of, um, of checks that can be run to establish that contextual awareness. So I think okay. from an end user perspective, and that bleeds straight into management, finance, risk analysis, um, those lend new functionality that really isn't available in a lot of other products. Um, and I still, I still want you guys to go one step up though in, in detail, like less, less detail, more, what is this enabling me to do from a smart buildings perspective, right? What, what, do, what do I need or what does this enable, right? Um, related to, like you, you mentioned remote access, I got it. allowing people to log in, authenticate, and then have access to something. You mentioned connection to the cloud, like th those types of things are what we're talking about enabling in a secure way, correct? Correct, correct. What else yeah. is there? So a, a good use case would be from the perspective of your building owner operator. Um, you know, you have these silos that have been established and one way um, or one thing that you need is uh, ultimately for you tr to truly be a smart building is they're going to want to or going to need to interact in some way. Um, so the establishment of connectivity between the silos is, is one really great use okay. case. And knowing that this fiefdom built by vendor A doesn't yeah. overlap with the fiefdom built by vendor B. And if it does, you know, we can, we can also make adjustments for that, but we can make sure that the traffic that's necessary is allowed and that you're not over provisioning access and, and something else is, is disallowed. Um, but then that use case extends to providing support by that vendor. So how do you know who the vendor's uh, employee is, where he's working from? Um, is that device safe? Does it have antivirus on it? Does it have recent patching and updating? Um, is it something that you've truly given access to and that individual? So you can apply all those same concepts of uh, identifying the user, identifying the, con uh, the context, and then giving them entitlements that are contextually aware based on what that vendor needs to 
uh, to, needs to get access to, rather than your vendor just setting up their own remote access mechanism and they have access to the entirety of your building potentially, which I think is is what a lot of vendors or most vendors are doing nowadays. Yeah, and to take it a step further, imagine to, to, to take the example that Rich just outlined, now imagine a, a multi-building scenario. I, I now own multiple buildings and I've hired a vendor to do a certain thing in each of those buildings. The solution should also be able to connect that vendor to all of my buildings simultaneously instead of putting the burden on that vendor to know, oh, okay, building A is at this address and building B is at this other address and so on. I should give that vendor the ability to connect to my entire network of buildings uh, and move seamlessly between the buildings, applying the rules and the logic that I've asked them to do, you know, under the contract, so to speak. Uh, so that's a that's a taking it one step further in terms of complexity. So I don't have to teach that vendor uh, all the different ins and outs of the different uh, buildings that I've set up that uh, I want them to manage. Got it. Got it. Hey guys, just another quick note from our sponsor, Nexus Labs, and then we'll get back to the show. This episode is brought to you by Nexus Foundations, our introductory course on the smart buildings industry. If you're new to the industry, this course is for you. If you're an industry vet but want to understand how technology is changing things, this course is also for you. The alumni are raving about the content, which they say pulls it all together, and they also loved getting to meet the other students on the weekly Zoom calls and in the private chat room. You can find out more about the course at courses.nexuslabs.online. All right, back to the interview. Okay. So Rich, you've looked at a bunch of different products, buildings, products that are like AppGate that are being sold into the buildings market. Talk to me about like what to look for, because I've seen, I've seen a lot of products, obviously. That's a lot of what I, the work I do. And I keep seeing products that are saying like we're zero trust or like you're buying zero trust. But what I'm hearing from you guys is that's, it's a philosophy. It's a way of life. It's not you can't just buy a product and then now you have a zero trust architecture, right? So Rich, can you talk about some of the, the different categories of products that are trying to help in this space and, and what you'd sort of recommend people check out? Yeah, as you, as you navigate the spectrum, you'll also find in addition to people making slightly erroneous claims about their products, you also find that there's a very broad spectrum of what zero trust means to different companies. So you may sit down in a meeting uh, with vendor A and their description of what Zero Trust does and doesn't do, uh, or what their product does and doesn't do, complete, can be completely different than the, the meeting that you have an hour later with vendor B. Um, so that's one of the things is to identify, you really wanna know uh, to what degree or to some degree, how connectivity is gonna work, um, what the resources are that you're going to look to secure, um, and what paths all of those, those mechanisms need to traverse. And, and that's why, you know, that glue, that middleware uh, that helps to facilitate that journey like AppGate does, shameless plug, um, is really something that's, that was a significant choice for us. Um, and, you know, there are certain properties in a building that are a little bit outside the beaten track, things like protocols. Um, and, you know, the way that they're configured, um, they have different sets of goals. Um, you don't necessarily in the controls network need to have multi-terabyte network connectivity, but you do need that network to be very reliable. Uh, and it needs to be able to transport uh, protocols like 
BACnet or or Modbus um, efficiently, you know, with a with a, a minimum of chatter, uh, and uh, you know, there's a lot of timing sensitive devices like controllers um, that really need to have top notch communication between them. Um, so that's that's what I would say is that if you're looking for a platform and a vendor, make sure that they're being realistic about what their aims are. Make sure they fit your needs. Um, if you're looking for something that provides access, they're probably going to call themselves a zero trust access uh, platform in some capacity, um, because there's also other uh, zero trust vendors that are focusing on data security, data storage, uh, and modeling. Um, so it's it's kind of a, a broad spectrum. So do some research first, um, and really get an idea of what what your goals are. It sounds like the software needs to be able to collect data from the network, talk to each device on the network, right? And the ability to analyze what they have installed, what software, what firmware, you know, what they are, but then also be able to integrate with all these, like you said, Jim, firewall, threat detection, all these other applications as well. So it's, it's a lot of the same architecture that we talk about on the other types of building, uh, smart building systems that you're talking about implementing here, some sort of data layer with the ability for a user to log in and make administrative changes. It does. Yeah, you're definitely on the right path. Cool. So let's talk about, you said 10 to 15% have some aspect of zero trust architecture. That means ideally, it sounds like we're trying to get the rest of the building stock uh, more towards the other end of the spectrum. What's the sort of journey? What do people need to do if I'm a building owner? What do I need to do to go from here to there today? And I know that's a massive question, but maybe some, what are, what are the couple, couple of big steps they would need to go through to, to get from here to there? Yeah. Um, normally this type of adventure starts with remote access. Uh, that's also a really good way to get uh, a good idea of how capable that vendor is, what type of connectivity that they can provide or interconnectivity, like I was saying between, or, or Jim mentioned uh, a security platform and authentication uh, platform, authorization platform. Um, and that'll help you really get your feet wet. And then being realistic about what that initial implementation is or does and identifying a set of users uh, that really are your most critical or probably the most um, the most concerning subset of users, uh, as for instance, like I said, the uh, the vendors that work for you, um, kind of wrangling in that that free environment that they that they're used to playing in, and making sure that there's good handoff, there's good documentation, that you understand what they're doing when they're connecting to your build, building and when they're connecting. And, and how often, and making sure that all of that access is authorized. The other side benefit to that is when they let someone go, you'll know because they'll need to decommission that identity and then recommission someone else from their team. Um, so there should be no sharing of rights, privileges, passwords, or devices in, in, that, in that journey. Um, and it. then moving up the application layer, um, you know, identifying what, are your critical systems talking to uh, and, and having a better idea of how, you know, in the, the Nexus Foundation model, how those silos are talking to each other uh, and what the real requirements are. And, and that part of it 
is where you really need to spread out the team. Uh, because I'll be honest with you, James, a lot of the application guys, if you ask them what port they need uh, to make to make available through a firewall or through an access platform or something like that, they don't even know. They're really not sure. And that's part of that. Like I was saying before, the, the specialties, these areas of, of where I do this and you do that, um, those need to be bridged. And, and you'll start to discover those gaps. And then you can work to, to smooth them through. Got it. If we if we reflect on that 10 to 15% number, you might ask yourself, why is that? Well, one of the big reasons is that battling complacency is a big issue. And so to get to get to the answer to your question, you know, what are the things that you need to convince somebody in order to start their zero trust journey is you got to convince them to get off their butts. Um, Complacency is no longer a viable option. Um, If you're if you're looking around and you're seeing your third parties getting carte blanche access to your networks inside of your building, it's time to do something about it. If you have open ports exposed to the public internet, it's time to do something about it. There's a better way to do it. Uh, these are all attack vectors. Uh, if, you're, if you're giving a single identity to your third party or, or to your team uh, to log into something, it's time to do something about it. And, and that's what Zero Trust is really all about. Let's, let's battle complacency and address the things that you're assuming are good because they've never caused you a problem. Um, it's time to start looking at them in black or white. Are they good or are they not? Am I protected here or am I being exposed? And that's really where we need to start. Got it. Got it. Yeah. It's like a philosophy shift. And then it seems like maybe in between the philosophy shift and all the good stuff you said, Rich, is like, we need new standards and processes for how we're approaching implementing this. Right. And then Rich, you just gave the roadmap, right? Once you actually get started, it starts the remote access and then all the other things you said. Yeah. Go ahead, go ahead though, Rich. You know, I wanted to point out though, there's been a huge evolution between say 10 to 12 years ago when primarily everything was done either by hardware or air-gapped and virtualization and compartmentalization, micro segmentation, all of these advances in how networking can become more virtual, uh, more flexible, those are really what has uh, really facilitated the growth. Uh, because, you know, Zero Trust started off as a concept by the for- uh, Forrester about 10 years ago. Um, but now only, or, well, I would say the most experienced um, and the most well-budgeted companies could probably afford to even make an attempt at that. Uh, but now the cost, the factor uh, has really come down. Um, you still need a very dedicated uh, experienced team in a lot of those different factors, but that realization or that uh, possibility is becoming a lot, uh, a lot more accessible now. Um, and if you look at the world around you, um, you know, simply leaving ports open to the wild um, is just not gonna cut it. Like was just said, uh, there are teams that are aggressively looking for prime targets uh, and that threat grows uh, more and more. You know, I don't like to be a, a scaremonger, but that's the yeah. And you guys talk a little bit about, so let me go back to my my days, probably 10 years ago, implementing things like SkySpark in buildings where I was dealing with the IT people trying to gain their trust, uh, for lack of a better term, but also fits with our conversation, trying to gain their trust so that they could 
let me do what I wanted to do. And I didn't really care about the security or the networking, really. I mean, I cared, but I didn't want to cause a big problem. But I was trying to get what I was trying to get done, done. Like I was trying to implement energy savings projects using this data analytics product, right? Um, and one of the things I, I would like you guys to th like think out loud about here is that there's this inherent security, like we're, we all have these end outcomes that we're looking for. Security is one of them for sure, but it's more like a thing we don't wanna screw up while we're enabling our end outcome, right? In the smart buildings industry, we're trying to create more efficient, more sustainable buildings. We're trying to create a better human experience. We're trying to make people more efficient at their job and operate in the building, right? All those things are kind of the primary end outcomes we're looking for. Security has this like thing like, well, yeah, you have to do all those other things, but you can't expose the building to a massive problem, right? Um, so can you talk about this inherent, like it goes back to the complacency, like you said, Jim, this inherent sort of um, battle between getting end outcomes done and not screwing up security and kind of where and how people should be thinking about that, those two battling nope. values. No one, no one wants to pay attention to the garbage men in New York City until they go on strike and they don't pick up the garbage. <laughs> then everybody pays attention. Yeah. And, that's, and that's where network security and zero trust comes in. Nobody wants to be that guy that says, oh, you can't implement that solution on my network because it's going to create a hole that I don't want to expose, right? They don't want to be that guy, right? but, but you've got to have systems and processes in place that help you safely and securely implement things like that uh, and grant access to the appropriate folks. There's a whole different way to solve that problem now uh, that, that complacency doesn't help you solve it. Totally. And I think the incentive factor has grown. Quite yeah. a bit. I see a lot more cooperation in projects that that I'm involved with now between the application folks and the networking folks. Um, I think that gap is starting to, you know, to um, to close just a little bit. All right. All right. Cool. That's good. That's good. Because when, when I got started, it was not fun. Yeah, exactly. So I have a I have a good story I'd like to tell if you don't mind. Go ahead. All right. So as an example. Um, Let's say you're at the supermarket and you need to get these groceries that you just bought home. So you get to the, to the front gate of this gated secure community that you live in. And uh, once you're there, the guards check your identity. They check your car. They allow you through the gates. And as you're going down the street, you have you know a mile straight, a left and a right, and then you're at your house. They know exactly where you're going. But as you leave the gatehouse, a little security cart follows you and they follow you. And if you stop or if you make a left turn when you were supposed to turn right, they will uh, accost you and, and find out what's going on. Right. Send you back to the gate uh, or let you continue on your way if it looks you know, something uh, benign. Once you get to your house, there's another guard. He checks your identity as well. He checks your vehicle. He looks for changes on the outside of the vehicle. And once he allows you to go into your house, being the very conscientious person that you are, you drop off your groceries, you take the paper bags and you turn around and you go back to the store. So that, that kind of conceptualizes things. But the best part, as you're coming back home from the store, and this is something we haven't talked about yet or touched on, but as you're coming back from the store, you think to yourself, nobody going the other way ever looks to be turning 
into my gated community. They never stop, they never turn in. What's going on? And then you realize they can't even see the entrance to that gated community. Only you can, only the people that have been authenticated. And that's, that's a model that AppGate has chosen to follow. And that's one of the things that really drew us uh, to, to looking at a, a partnership with them. Cool, cool. Yeah, you, you lost me at paper bags because I always forget my reusable bags when I go to the grocery store. Uh, analogy, yeah. Just kidding. No, that's a great that's a great example. Um, I want to last thing I want to talk about with you guys is um, I've been doing this series on the horizontal architecture and how you know we need to as an industry transition from this siloed you know many many vertical parallel um, silos vertical architectures to this. Um, horizontal architecture to just to catch you up, Jim, it's probably very similar in other industries, transitioning to a device layer, a network layer, a data layer, and an application layer, right? Those four. And th there are different definitions of what a horizontal architecture means, but that's kind of the, the, the broad summary. So can you guys think about out loud and, and think about how this zero trust architecture applies to that new world of a horizontal architecture? I mean, obviously it sounds like there are potentially new devices that are helping with security. There are, obviously we're talking about a network layer um, software, right, as well. Um, there's a little bit of data layer aspect, it seems like as well, where you're collecting data and you know, you're providing applications. So it seems like it plays on all four layers. Can you, can you talk about how this kind of fits to that horizontal architecture model? Yeah, James, one of the ways that I describe it is uh, very similar to what you just laid out. It's all about the network. At the end of the day, a network is in play. You got to use the network to allow sources or requesters of information to talk to the destination or the source of information, right? You've, they need a network to make that happen. However, you should be able to look at, first of all, that traffic that's flowing between a source and a destination. Uh, you should be able to encrypt it so that you don't actually have the ability to sniff it, inspect it, read it, understand it, especially if you're an outsider seeing that traffic or it's going across a public network. Um, but you should also be able to use any other layer in uh, falling back to what I always talk about is the OSI model because it's a layered approach to computing technology anyway. You should be able to use any other layer in the model to identify whether or not I should allow this network traffic to flow. And, and that includes identity. It includes contextual information uh, that Rich was talking about. Where are you on the planet? Uh, what's the health of your device? Are you running an antivirus? Is your hard drive encrypted? Is this what you normally do? Is this something related to your job? Or have you stepped outside of those boundaries? Uh, so, so looking at all those other layers to make that determination as to trustworthiness is very important. And not only do you look at it at the beginning of the traffic flow, but you look at it throughout the traffic flow, as Rich was describing in his analogy, you're following the traffic across the network and you're saying, all right, are you still headed to the same place that I think you should be headed to? Are you still headed to your house? Or am I going to need to pull you over and figure out why you took a path that you're, is not your normal path, right? So those are all things that come into play, but that's a great way to think about it. At the end of the day, that network is down at the bottom layer and you've got to be able to control it in some way. And that's that's what we try to do here at AppGate. Got it, cool. Um, 
let's close out. Thank you guys. This has been super informative. I feel like this is a topic where um, there are probably questions that I don't even know to ask at this point, but I think that was a good introductory um, level, but maybe even 201 level, you know, introduction to zero trust architecture. Let's end with some carve outs. Um, what books, TV shows, podcasts, movies, newsletters, conferences, maybe, what do you recommend to the audience? And that could be related to zero trust architecture, or it could be just something that you think people should check out from your personal life. Personally, I always recommend the Nexus podcast series. Um, oh, thanks. First, uh, that's the first answer. Um, Shameless plug. Shameless yeah, plug. no kidding. <laughs> um, you, you don't need to do that because they're already listening to it. Yeah, that's true. But I said I recommend. <laughs> um, so there are some extensions. Um, the Zero Trust Extended Ecosystem is a good topic to, to look for um, if that's you know, if you need to get a little bit deeper knowledge. Um, the thing, again, the thing to ultimately keep in mind is that zero trust can mean a lot of different things. And a lot of companies are trying to shoehorn themselves into that model um, instead of the other way around. Um, but personally, you know, I, I really follow all the major uh, security conferences. Sounds good. <laughs> you got it, Jim. Yeah, so um, look, one of the things that I'll say is that we, I think we started this conversation along these lines. There's a lot of, there's a lot of info out there about zero trust. It's a buzzword, right? Well, I'll go a step further. And this is our, this is our marketing campaign for 2022. There's a lot of BS in the market about zero trust. Uh, and so we have a no BS marketing campaign that we're doing right now, where if you ever come across us at any trade show, uh, our booth, our people, our employees, uh, even our friends. We'll, you know, we're talking about no BS. Let's step into the booth. Let's have a no BS conversation. Um, and so, you know, what do you mean by BS? Well, there's a lot of vendors out there that claim I have a zero trust platform, or I have the zero trust solution, or buy my solution and turn on zero trust, or accomplish zero trust. Um, ask questions. Dig into it. And this leads me to the next thing to start thinking about is always be learning. Well, what are those questions that we should be asking? Um, does a zero trust platform necessarily include a multi-tenant component? Well, zero trust and multi-tenant don't seem to jive with each other. At least in my mind, they don't. Uh, why would I buy into a platform that has multiple customers on it at the same time, especially mm -hmm. a cloud-based platform? Right now, if I've got multiple vendors accessing my building, that's a different scenario. Uh, but why would I route traffic through a platform that other customers that aren't even related to me are also routing their traffic through it? Yeah. So there's that's just one little example of BS that's out there. Rich sort of mentioned another one, and that is these vendors that have platforms and products that were built originally for one purpose. Like maybe they were originally a content delivery network. And now they're trying to back into a zero trust solution mm -hmm. and they're trying to leverage this investment they've already made in this other solution to back into this zero trust concept. Beware of that kind of BS. It's, it's out there. So uh, always be learning. And I don't care if you're learning about technology or if you're learning about mountain biking or woodworking or you're watching YouTube videos uncontrollably, whatever it is, learn, learn, learn because you're never gonna realize the things that you're learning, how they're gonna be applied to some problem that you have in the future. Keep learning, don't ever give up on it. Love it, love it. 
Okay, mine has nothing to do with cybersecurity or zero trust architecture or anything. It's just something that I've been nerding out on this week, and it's the Catalyst podcast with Shale Khan. So Shale Khan's a, a climate tech uh, investor, and he's like a total polymath. He knows everything about everything, and it's really fun listening to him kind of ask people questions around all these different types of climate change tech. So we'll put that in the show notes along with what you guys just recommended. So thanks so much. Uh, and it's been great having you guys on the show. Very good. Thanks, James. All right, friends. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Nexus Podcast. For more episodes like this and to get the weekly Nexus newsletter, which, by the way, readers have said is the best way to stay up to date on the future of the smart building industry, please subscribe at nexuslabs.online. You can find the show notes for this conversation there as well. Have a great day. Thank you.